This podcast comes to you from the Osteopathic Health Center in Dubai. Integrating health and wellness for the body, mind, and soul. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of the All of You podcast. Now, continuing from our first um, bite-size um, podcast, which was basically an introduction to five pillars of self-care, five fundamental pillars of self-care. Um, uh, we started with the mindset of health, so how to cultivate uh, a mindset which will really help to you know, keep us consistent um, with healthy behaviours. And that was really just about setting the scene for a one-way um, and non-negotiable health journey. So starting with the, you know, the, the the basic principle of why we want to be healthy, making our reason why big enough and strong enough uh, to keep us um, obliged and wedded to these simple health behaviours that will ultimately improve our wellness, health and happiness. Um, and a couple of those, just to recap, a couple of those really salient points I mentioned are, as I just mentioned, the why, you know, making our reason for wanting to be healthier, big enough and compelling enough to make it so intrinsically motivated that we don't think about um, healthy behaviors. We don't think about um, doing the simple things that invest and reinforce our health and happiness. And sometimes making that reason why bigger than ourselves. So making it a functional reason for wanting to be healthier. How does it impact our family, our professional life, being, you know, our, our values, uh, our roles in life, such as being a, you know, a, a parent, a role model, um, a better professional, a leader. And when we're, when we're kind of, we're tying our health to these, these, these functional roles that we play, it can become more compelling. So finding a big enough why, um, and also, um, Kind of, you'd say this is on the opposite end of the spectrum, but you know, kind of a, having a real honest and you know, real honest self appraisal to to assess whether we're really ready to make um, irreversible changes. Because many people's, you know, they embark upon health journeys with a goal in mind, whether it be a month down the line, a couple of months down the line. People fixate on the end product. I want to, you know, drop a dress size. I want to climb Kilimanjaro. Um, and ultimately, wellness is an active pursuit that never really ends. It's, it, there isn't no there is no destination, and so we want to embark upon a journey of health improvement with this idea that it's irreversible. We're not going to change. This is going to be a new way of looking at life. And as I said, many people embark upon these health journeys um with you know without enough skin in the game with one foot in the water so to speak um and just focusing on the end product so cutting corners trying to hack their way to the res the desired result instead of enjoying the process and as i said in the first um bite-sized podcast on mindset you know the person who loves walking will walk further than the person who loves the destination. So it's really about enjoying the process and, and, and seeing it as a never-ending pursuit. So being committed, because I understand, you know, we live in a world where it's very 
distracting and challenging for us to partake in consistent healthy behaviours. But we must be intrinsically committed to that. And if we're not, and we don't get to the results we want, often that can cultivate self-criticism, shame, guilt, um, and inner conflict. And that's what we don't need. And we don't want people, especially in the world of dieting, to make an effort and then end up unhealthier than they were before they started. So really, you know, first of all, assessing whether we're really ready to make those intrinsic, um, you know, kind of efforts and, and changes. So the second pillar of self-care today, we're going to talk about nutrition. And I think this is as important, especially in the context of our modern health landscape, as, as our mindset, because obviously we need to eat. And unfortunately, in our modern lifestyles and modern day environments, there are so many temptations for us to make poor decisions. It seems to be more convenient and easy to make a poor decision in the realm of um, food choices than it does to make a healthy and good decision. And just to set the context before I, I, I kind of um, share a few you know, kind of basic overarching principles, our environment, our living environment has changed more in the last, say, 50, 60 years than our physiology has changed in over tens of thousands of years. So what I'm saying here is, is that we're now trying to um, navigate a, a, a food landscape which is working against our physiology, is working against our evolutionary um, physiology. As, as we still have, you know, kind of hunter-gatherer um, primal tendencies, DNA, um, you know, this, this, this blueprint, genetic blueprint, we still have the genetic blueprint of hunter-gatherers, yet we're traversing a world where food is so convenient. It's hypercaloric, I mean, it's high in calories, and a lot of it is highly processed, which is very unhealthy for us, but it's hyperpalatable, which means it is so tempting that we struggle to really um, avoid or to, to resist a lot of these foods because food industries really understand what our primal tendencies are when it comes to food. So we, we will gravitate towards foods that are higher in fat, higher in sugar, higher in salt and flavor. And so these, what we would call ultra-processed foods, which were swamped with in the modern-day world, whether it's, you know, crisps, chips, cakes, junk food, fries, burgers, the, the combinations of fats and sugars and salt that these have are, are really kind of pulling on our evolutionary and desires and tendencies. So we're walking around being nudged and tempted to eat these foods all day long and we're having to resist and we're having to understand or try to, you know, really try and um, control ourselves in a, in, a, in, a, in a food environment that is just abundant. And ultimately, we are optimized as humans, as, as, as hunter-gatherers, we're optimized for environments of scarcity, so lack of food, um, unpredictability, um, and, and harsh, harsh environments where we didn't know when our, when our next meal was going to arrive. And so we are still evolutionary primed to seek out these highly caloric foods that will sustain us until we find our next meal. So we're walking around in a world thinking, our bodies are thinking, 
hey, you know, when are we going to eat again? Let's eat as much as possible. Yet we live in a world that is providing food in abundance. We can eat ad libitum if we need, if we really want to. And so there's a mismatch. There's an evolutionary mismatch between our physiology and our current modern environments. So I want to start with that context because this isn't about blaming us or, or take, you know, we do have to take a degree of responsibility, but we also have to understand um, the terrain that we're working in as humans. And we, you know, willpower is a finite resource. We only have so much of that. Um, and ultimately, our willpower will give in to, you know, external cues. Even if we're not hungry, an external cue from a food outlet, for instance, the smell of fat or the smell of sugar um, from, say, a, a takeaway or a burger joint or a donut store, it is enough to tempt us in to want to eat that, even when we're not hungry. So we have to understand that we are being tempted left, right and centre in an environment that is generally working against our health. Um, so just to set that context, um, we can have that, we can now have an awareness that when we are walking around, that the reason why we do feel tempted is because from an evolutionary perspective, um, it's it's normal, it's normal. And the, the food industry in particular um, is very, you know, they, they have these words such as mouthfeel, such as craveability, such as moorishness. They engineer their foods to become, to, for, the, for, the, for instance, a potato chip. They, they have food scientists who engineer that potato chip to have the right crunch in your mouth to make you want to eat more of it. So these foods that are being produced, the ultra-processed foods, they are, for want of a better word, addictive. They are made to be addictive. They are made by these food companies to, 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 to encourage us to have more of them. So it's really important. Um, so for, you know, if, we, if we're buying food, that if you bring that food into your home and kind of say to yourself, well, I'll leave that for a, a rainy day or a cheat night, it's going to get eaten. It's going to get eaten. So having that food in your environment is, is really the, is, is as good as eating it. So what we have to do is be mindful of the food landscape that we're traversing. So um, when, when, when I talk about food, I really want to talk about metabolic health because, you know, Metabolic diseases are some of the fastest growing health problems in the world. Um, and it, it's safe to say that I think that they're touching the majority of our lives, either directly or indirectly, whether we know somebody who may be overweight, struggling with metabolic syndrome, pre-diabetes, diabetes, polycystic ovary syndrome, um, you know, high blood pressure. These are all connected to this overarching burden of metabolic disease. Um, and staggeringly, it's estimated that over 20% of the adult population worldwide has metabolic syndrome. And I think if we're improving our metabolic health, and we can safely say that we're really eating an appropriate diet as a human, and we're covering all our needs, because most of the characteristics of a metabolically healthy diet will cover most of our health needs from, from, from our food. So I really want to talk about or, or kind of use the theme of metabolic health. Um, and, you know, when it comes to metabolic disease, 
we 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 start with you know maybe highlighting a few common symptoms that people struggle struggle with so increasing body fat especially around the waist high levels of fat in the blood called triglycerides um, low levels of what we would regard as more healthy cholesterol hdl cholesterol high blood pressure um, and high levels of fasting blood glucose so you know a collection of these symptoms we we would call metabolic syndrome um and as I said, it is very, it's becoming more prevalent amongst the adult population. And we're even starting to see, um, you know, these symptoms, um, well, metabolic health issues arising in young people as well. So children. So, you know, this is really kind of a, a call to arms for us to really be, um, you know, to be mindful of, of the foods that we're choosing. And um, so let's kick off. Um, first of all, just trying to understand if your metabolic health may be um, compromised in any way. I just want to run through a few symptoms that you may experience, um, such as craving for carbohydrates and snacks, feeling sleepy after meals, high levels of blood sugar, as I previously mentioned, a lack of concentration or inability to focus, um, fatigue, increased hunger, um, depression, struggling to lose weight, um, increased appetite, um, a history of polycystic ovary syndrome, excessive sweating, um, and irregular menstrual cycles. So all of these symptoms could have a metabolic health uh, link. Um, and so when it comes to food, it's really important that we Yes, make choices for our health, but also make choices for our, you know, satisfaction. Because, you know, food should be enjoyed and we should enjoy our food to a point. Um, it's been said that we're now eating more recreationally um, than we are for function, which means we're eating more food for enjoyment than we are for its health benefits and functionality. And that's interesting um, because it just kind of reflects how much food is tied into our lives, whether it be social, cultural, religious, um, you know, business, uh, food. It really is this connecting kind of um, this connecting string that, that kind of weaves its way through many of our experiences in life. And so... We don't want to be ostracizing ourselves from all of these um, social aspects of food. Uh, and it's really about finding balance. It's not about, you know, as I said in my last uh, rant about mindset, you know, sitting on the top of a mountain in the lotus position eating lettuce leaves. No, it's really about finding balance, investment and debit. What am I putting in that is helping me or reinforcing my health? And what am I taking out? And there should be this default kind of uh, ebb and flow where we're investing more than we're taking out. So, um, you know, when it comes to eating in a way that is balanced, we really want to have a diet that doesn't feel like a diet. You know, another good saying is the best diet is the one that you don't know you're on. So this must be something that, that is diverse, um, that is flexible. Um, and as I said earlier, it should be really enjoyable. Um, 
So let's start with some very simple principles that we can um, that we can start to really incorporate into our lives already without too much, um, you know, kind of without too much adjustment from what we're doing already. So the first principle is very simple. It would be to eat real food. Um, and just as a bit of context, approximately 70% of all food in our supermarkets is processed or ultra-processed. Now, processed food, to a point, is okay because it may just be a lettuce that's been chopped and put in a bag. It may just be um, a, a meat that has a, a, a steak that's been ground into ground beef. But when it comes to ultra-processed foods, these are the things that we really should be trying to avoid because... You know, these aren't, I, I wouldn't even regard these as foods, and, and, and this is just my personal opinion. But these foods are, are laden with fat, salt, sugar, preservatives, flavorings, colors, bulking agents, additives. Um, and often they're, they're derived from remnants of food, but they are, they're far from anything that nature intended. And I, and I always, like to take an evolutionary perspective on what we're doing. If we look over our shoulders and see from whence we came, um, it's not rocket science. So eating real food, food that um, some would regard as either comes from the ground or comes from an animal that's eaten food from the ground, um, but foods in their in their natural uh, in, in their natural state. Um, and when we are shopping, you know, we want to be prioritizing certain aisles you know the first few aisles of a, of a store tend to be where the real food is the fruits the vegetables the meat and um, some of the dairy as well and 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 grains we can talk about grains you know unprocessed grains um but when it comes to eating real food we should be avoiding certain things as well such as these um vegetable oils uh and and I, they, they don't get enough attention, in, in my honest opinion, but seed oils such as soya bean, corn oil, sunflower, safflower, peanut oil, rice bran oil, grape seed oil, cotton seed oil. Now, these are heavily industrialized, uh, bleached and, 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 and chemically laden oils that are unstable when they're heated and they can wreak havoc. They can cause a lot of inflammation in the body. Um, and I don't think there, the, 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 the research is emerging, but obviously there are there's massive pressure from industry to, 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 to suppress, just like there was with the, with the sugar industry. Um, so I think the more research will emerge about the harms of these vegetable oils. But we should be, if we're eating fats, we should be looking for healthy fats, fats that are more stable um, when heated or even at room temperature. So whether it is coconut oil, whether it is butter, whether it is um, animal fats, lard, ghee, and tallow, these fats are stable at heat and at room temperature, and we've eaten them for thousands and thousands of years. Um, so also think about sugars, you know, read labels. It's really important that we read labels because there are over 56 terms or labels used for sugar. So, you know, whether it's sucralose, uh, fructose, dextrose, maltose, so many different labels for sugar. Um, and you may think that a label that says no added sugar is, is suitable and appropriate. But if you just take a look at the back and see what sugar, it, what percentage of that food 
or that 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 um, product is sugar, it may surprise you. Um, and I think rather than depending on brands, just looking at labels. Um, and another great adage is you know, if 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 it's not a food that your grandmother or your grandfather would recognise or or a name, then then why are you eating it? And so. You know, I don't want to be a food uh, zealot here, but I think reading labels is very important, especially for picking up tins and cans um, and processed foods in general. Um, so, eating within a defined window of time. So, we've talked about eating certain foods uh, and avoiding certain um, processed foods or ultra-processed foods. And just a quick one on that again, that the NOVA, N-O-V-A, food categorization system, which you can look up online, N-O-V-A, will help you define what is the difference between whole food, processed food, and ultra-processed food. You can find that online. And um, so eating with a within a defined window of time. Research has shown that you can eat the same amount of calories um, in a smaller eating window um, and you can have significant health benefits in com comparison to eating the same amount of food over a longer time window. So because of the advent of, um, of, of uh, artificial light, we tend to be eating a lot more um, over a longer period of time. So 12 to 14, you know, sometimes 16 hours, where either you know, grazing, nibbling, or eating our meals, um, when from a historical point of view or an evolutionary point of view, we were eating from sunup to sundown because you don't want to be lighting a fire in the middle of the night when there are you know huge predators around and i'm talking about from a, you know maybe from a paleolithic and before time we wouldn't be eating foods um late at night because there'd be a chance of us becoming food and so we have a bit you know kind of evolved um, eating food in hours of sunlight of daylight um and what we're seeing is that when we eat foods over a longer period of time, we have higher levels of inflammation, higher levels of metabolic dysregulation, um, and you know generally we have worse health outcomes. So, eating our food within a smaller window of time, preferably around ten hours. So, if we're starting our first meal at say nine nine a.m., um, we could be finishing by what's that? 7 p.m. Yeah, if we're eating starting at 8, we could be finishing at 6. Um, and some people like to bring their windows even even less to 8 hours because we're giving our body a chance then to process um, the food that we eat uh, and and hopefully go to sleep without the you know without too much digestive processes occurring so we get quality rest, quality recovery. And um, and you know we can go into the benefits of fasting. We can go down that rabbit hole another time. But fasting is probably one of the most well, it is one of the most powerful health interventions that is available to us. We are designed to go for periods without eating, and our performance, um, our our health, actually increases. You know, increases so much by simply um, abstaining from putting food within our bodies. So we go through many processes, whether it's autophagy, whether it's uh, increases in growth hormone, um, immune function improvements. Just actually avoiding food for a sustained period of time has numerous health benefits. Um, 
So intermittent fat, intermittent feeding, intermittent fasting, time restricted feeding. These are brilliant ways of 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 you know kind of relating and 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 kind of interacting with our food. So a 10 hour eating window would be a very conservative and manageable start. And we know that the earlier time or the earlier eating window, uh, say if we're eating, say from eight till uh, eight till six, or you know that is a better eating window than say ten till eight. So the later we eat foods, the less benefit we see. Um, so we want to be trying to eat our our last intake of calories. I'd say at least four hours before we we, we go to sleep. Um, and when it comes to things like metabolic health and, and, and tapping into our fat stores, when we go to bed, it's a great opportunity to fast. Um, and, and that's a great opportunity for us, all, us also to tap into our fat stores. Um, so eating window, definitely another great um, principle to follow. And trying to um, exercise early in the day in the fasted state um, this is a great, you know, kind of uh, promoter for metabolic health. If we're if we're eating, uh, if we're exercising early, we're improving or increasing our our metabolic rate. And just to kind of go back to the beginning slightly, um, metabol metabolism can be, uh, you know, it can be a bit of a mysterious word. So let me just define what metabolism is, and it can be described as the chemical process inside our cells that transform what we eat and drink into energy. Um, and so metabolic health is a term we use to describe how well we can generate and process this energy, which is needed for just about every aspect of our survival, for growth, for movement, for reproduction, and even to think. Um, and the two broad categories of, 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 of metab metab metabolism are catab catabolism, Catabolism, which is the breakdown of molecules within the body, such as protein and fat, to produce simpler molecules such as amino acids and fatty acids, um, and something like digestion is um, is is a real good example of that. And fat loss, where we're breaking things down in the body, and the other process alongside catabolism is anabolism, which is the opposite, which is the constriction or the growth. Um, of tissues and molecules from simpler units, which is used to aid growth and repair and functionality of the body. So a good example would be building new muscle, healing wounds as well. So these are the two kind of broad branches of our metabolism that we're concerned with. Um, so we've gone through a couple of points there, enjoying our food, eating real food, um, eating within a, a defined window of time, um, and regular exercise, especially in the mornings. Now, another one is eating our biggest meal earlier in the day. And the old adage, breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a peasant, um, does hold some weight. Because if we're eating the majority of our calories earlier in the day, then we're increasing our opportunity for fat loss and also reducing insulin levels. And one of the things that people get confused with when it comes to, um, you know, metabolic health is focusing too much on calories um, and not enough on hormones. And let's get it, let's you know, let's get it straight that a calorie of processed food is far different and will have a much different impact on our metabolism to a calorie of naturally occurring foods. 
So in general, we're far more likely to put on weight and promote metabolic disease if by eating the same amount of calories from processed or ultra-processed foods as from, um, in comparison to natural whole foods. So we shouldn't be focusing on calories. We should be focusing on nutrient density. Um, and in the, in, in the context of controlling metabolic health, we should also be focusing on hormones. And that key hormone is controlling insulin levels. Um, and if we're eating whole foods, we are going to be less likely to have huge insulin surges and thus huge blood sugar surges, um, which destabilize our metabolic health. So, you know, let's not just think about calories. And, and there's a reason why calories are still predominantly are, are prevailing within the realm of nutrition. And that's because if food industry can keep you focused on calories, it can take your eyes off the quality of the foods. So on a packet, if it says just, you know, 100, 200 calories, you're not thinking about the quality of the food. You're just thinking about, okay, well, this isn't going to give me too much energy and, and, and promote me fat storing fat rather, you know, rather than thinking how many, how much nutrient and what nutrient density does this food have? So, um, let's think about insulin as opposed to, um, calories. So next principle eating enough protein. Now, ultimately, um, a lot of us, especially females don't eat enough protein. Okay. Um, protein is a key macronutrient for regulating our insulin levels and blood sugar levels, increasing satiety. So making us feel less hungry throughout the day. So reducing the volume of food we eat, improving our cognitive function, our brain function, and reducing risk of metabolic and cardiovascular disease and promoting healthier choices. Because when we're fuller and more satiated, we're less likely to go reaching for um, these ultra-processed sugary foods, which will give us a hit of, um, you know, of a hit of glucose. So our first meal of the day should really have a good amount of protein. Uh, through the literature, the, 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 the number being batted around is around 30 grams of protein with, 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 with the first meal. Um, and you can look online to see what that equates to. But, you know, you could have some, you know, some, some, some fresh yogurt. You could have uh, two, two to three eggs. Some people like more. You can have some, um, you, you, you might have some fish or some salmon, smoked salmon with your breakfast. But you can get protein in many different forms um, and I would recommend that overall we're consuming around about 1.5 grams of protein per day per kilogram of body of weight so you can work out how many kilos you weigh and about 1.5 grams per kilo um, so eating enough protein is going to aid the you know the metabolic processes the recovery brain function and, and really keep associated throughout the day now I've talked about um, I've talked about kind of time restricted feeding, but even going a little bit further and, and performing intermittent fasts, and so the body can switch to burning our fat stores in as little as twenty four to thirty six hours. Now that may seem extreme to some people to actually go without food, but you know many people do that whether it's for religious purposes. You know we fast during our sleep, so there's a good eight or it should be eight hours recommended but and you know it could be anywhere between six and eight hours and then we don't many people don't have breakfast so many people do fast quite regularly 
but just extending those fasts a little bit longer um, will really incur some amazing health benefits, whether it's enhancing fat loss, preserving muscle mass, improving bone density, improving growth hormone, um, this cellular, cellular autophagy where we're getting rid of old um, dead cells in the body, improving recovery of old wounds and things like that. So there's many, many benefits to just abstaining from food just for a pro slightly prolonged period of time. Um, consuming apple cider vinegar. Now, this one is a great one for decreasing insulin levels um, and stabilizing our blood sugar. So, you know, say a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar diluted in water in the morning can actually help you know, reduce body fat um, and improve our insulin sensitivity. And other products such as bitter melon and cinnamon are also useful dietary additions to help do that. Um, so when it comes to metabolic health, apple cider vinegar, um, just a simple, you know, tablespoon in some water in the morning can be a really good addition to help um, stabilize insulin levels and make us more sensitive. Um, protecting our sleep is really key. Um, High levels of the stress hormone cortisol will raise insulin uh, levels and contribute to weight gain and inflammation. Um, and we know sleep deprivation is a, is, a, is a huge contributing factor to chronic stress. And so much so that just one night of sleep deprivation can increase our stress hormones by up to 100%. So a reduction in sleep between four and six hours can lead to a significant reduction in insulin sensitivity as well. Um, so what we're looking at here is that sleep is a hugely metabolic, um, uh, you know, active, hugely metabolically active process in which we can regulate insulin levels and in, improve our blood sugar levels. We can, we're burning fat during our sleep. Um, and so, you know, protecting our sleep is key. And, and we see this in shift workers, a lot of shift workers struggle with metabolic um, health issues because they're eating at irregular times, often eating during the night because they're awake during the night. And so, you know, really protecting your sleep. It's very, very common for us in the clinic to see people who don't get good sleep, irregular sleep patterns, whether they struggle to get to sleep or stay asleep or have quality sleep. And it's very common. And that as I said, can in, in, increase inflammation, which can pertain or to contribute to more pain, um, especially in musculoskeletal conditions and poor digestive health and a whole host of symptoms down the line. So protecting your sleep is another really important nutritional consideration. Um, I've talked about um, eating whole foods. So you know, the flip side of that is reducing the intake of processed uh, and refined starchy and sugary carbohydrates, um, and you know focusing on eating more fibrous, uh, you know kind of uh, fruit and vegetables will help to improve our gut health and give us all of the substrates that we need to feed the good bacteria in our, in our guts. Um, so whether it's cruciferous leafy vegetables, berries, and various citrus fruits, really trying to eat fruits in their whole form. A lot of people have got into the trend in the last, I would say, 10 years or around 10 years of juicing. Um, and unfortunately, when we juice, we take out a lot of the sugars and we discard a lot of the fiber and the matrix of, 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 cellular, uh, of cellulose, which, which, which really provides food for our gut bacteria. 
So, you know, just taking juices out of fruits and vegetables um, isn't the optimal way. I mean, you know, we can, we can, um, we can blitz or blend. Um, and as long as we're maintaining some of that fiber, but even that breakdown of the cellulose walls can make the sugars more rapid, rapid, rapidly absorbed. So in an ideal world, yes, you can get more intake when we're juicing things, we can get more intake of the fruits and vegetables, but we're missing a, a large part of the benefit, which is the fiber from the fruits and vegetables. So it's really important that we try to get these whole fruits and, and vegetables as well as, you know, juicing or blending, um, you know, or making smoothies out of them. Um, so as, as I said earlier, when it comes to, you know, kind of the times we're eating, human behavior has evolved with the strong influence of the light and the dark. Um, and, you know, since the dawn of mankind, we've had these predictable daily rhythms, uh, this 24-hour sleep-wake cycle, uh, which we call our circadian rhythm. Um, and ultimately, the fasting period, um, it serves as a time for repair and, for, uh, and, and, and standby so that we're, we're fit and ready to go out and obtain our food again. So from a hunter-gatherer perspective, you know, the fasting period during the, during the hours of darkness was a time for us to recover and, and to prepare ourselves for the next day to go out and find food. And as I said earlier, we, are still have, we still have the physiology of hunter-gatherers living in the modern world. So um, eating the same amount of daily food within a, a, an eating window can help reverse metabolic diseases. I've mentioned this before. So trying to fit your food intake into a defined window, preferably between daylight hours, is a really good um, is a really good principle to to take on and embody. So you know we've gone through some very key points there. Um, there's lots more to talk about with food, but these are just very simple things that we can incorporate. So, you know, let's just go back over those and, and, and summarize quickly. First of all, enjoy your food. Make sure that your diet is a, that your diet doesn't feel like a diet. It just feels like a flexible, enjoyable way of eating that balances, you know, the, the investment and what you take out. Okay. Eat real food. Try to get most of your food. Look down in your shopping basket. And if most of that food is in a packet or a tin, or uh, you know, or, or some some kind of processed um, packaging. Question is, how whole is that food? So trying to get most of your food from the first three, two or three aisles of the supermarket. Um, eat within a defined window of time, preferably ten hours or less within the daytime. Um, get regular exercise because it will improve your digestive system and help you process the nutrients. We are not just what we eat, we are what we absorb. And so exercise helps us with gut health, um, as, you know, as well as eating plenty of um, fruits and fibrous fruits and vegetables. Eat your biggest meal earlier in the day. Um, this again will help our metabolic health and it will stop us from craving unhealthy foods later on in the day and um, eating enough protein as i said good sources of protein whether you're vegan vegetarian you're carnivore you're paleo eating good high quality sources of protein is a must to help 
to regulate insulin levels, improve your brain performance, improve your metabolic health, reduce the volume of food you eat in the day and keep you satisfied throughout the day. And your first meal of the day should have a good amount of protein in it, okay? And consuming apple cider vinegar and protecting your sleep and uh, read labels, see what you're eating. And if you can't spell it, (laughs) should you be eating it? And so there are some very simple tips. And as I said earlier, let's keep it in context. We live in a modern world that is constantly nudging us with food cues to eat foods that are not in our best interests. So we must be vigilant. We must be conscious when we're eating or choosing. Um, And another good one would be not to shop when you're hungry because you're more likely to make poor food choices when you're hungry in a supermarket. Because all of these nudges and food cues that you see will tempt you. And when we are being manipulated by food industry that understands from an evolutionary standpoint what foods we crave and what foods we're likely to go uh, try to uh, try to consume, which are foods that are high in uh, high in calories, they're really tasty, um, and they would they would have kept us alive for long periods of food scarcity. So, you know, traverse the food environment well. Bring an bring bring an element of consciousness and awareness to your food choices, and you know. Don't just eat for you, eat for your family, eat for your community, eat for your environment. Um, And, you know, enjoy, enjoy. Thank you very much for listening. Um, This is another Bite Size, and um, there's three more Bite Size podcasts to go when it comes to our um, pillars of self-care, which are stress resilience, sleep hygiene, and exercise. So thank you for listening. Hope you have gained a few uh, tidbits from that and um, take care and be well. Thank you.